It's podcast o'clock and you're listening to Vanessa MID. As we're coming to the end of the year, we're reflecting on the key lessons learned in tackling corruption. Should anti-corruption practitioners be putting more efforts in preventing corruption rather than sanctioning corruption when it happens? What do you think? Drop your comments in the comment section. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Breaking down this question with me is the Executive Director of Step of Nigeria, Oni O. Also on this podcast is the Deputy Program Director of Step of Nigeria, Ms. Fermi Ionda. It's so good to have you here. Recently, Oni, you wrote a blog on three key lessons in fighting corruption. From what I read, um, these were lessons that you learned over 17 years in the anti-corruption field. I'm sure our audience is eager to hear about these three key lessons. Can you tell us about the first key lesson you mentioned in your blog article? Thank you, Ma. Thank you, Vanessa. Yeah, so the, the first, I think something I've learned over the years um, when it comes to tackling corruption is around the fact that I think we need to focus on treating the causes rather than the symptoms of corruption. I have no doubt in my mind, I mean, that, I mean, we all know that prevention is better than cure. What I've observed is that lots of efforts, lots of anti-corruption efforts have been focused more on either detecting the corruption or sanctioning, you know, focus on creating systems, you know, that would sanction corrupt offenders. And there's nothing wrong in that at all. We need that. And we still need to have systems to, you know, to, for, to punish um, either crime or corrupt offenders when it happens. But the problem is I feel like we're geared towards more of, we've accepted that, you know, you know, it's, it feels like the, the effort is more focused on the fact that you're already accepting that corruption must happen or something. And then we're focused more on the systems to catch that corruption. But why, why is it very important that we still have those structures? We cannot, corruption can never be totally eradicated. That I know, but it can be reduced. But we could put, I think we need to intensify our efforts around reducing or preventing corruption from happening in the first place. Um, so one of the key lessons I've learned, I think is very important. I think it'd be more effective, you know, to focus, to begin to intensify our efforts, you know, around the preventive approaches to anti-corruption, which is why I established Step Up Nigeria. And um, because having worked in the field of anti-corruption and I needed that space where I could really see how we could I could contribute, you know, bring it, build up, build a team of people that could contribute towards, you know, focusing our efforts on preventing corruption from happening in the first place. And that is why I also launched the Catch Them Young initiative. You know, why Step Up Nigeria launched the Catch Them Young initiative, still geared around, you know, preventing the future generation from engaging in corrupt practices by instilling the right values, by beginning to have that conversation, you know, around what drives corruption, you know. And 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 why it's important that we prevent it from happening in the first place. We've seen even with with just I mean, if you want to look at um, things like COVID nineteen and and the rest of it, why are we here today that we are no longer masked up or or we able to go about our normal businesses? It was because the va- we had vaccinations. You know, the vaccines have really helped to prevent COVID nineteen from spreading. And if you take the same because we all know that prevention is always better than cure. Um, imagine if we all had to just, you know, wait for the treatment of of, of COVID-19, probably would have still been, you know, having lockdowns. But, you know, the vaccines, focusing on trying to prevent it from happening, at least, or reducing the symptoms. That It doesn't mean that you can't have COVID-19, but at least reducing that symptom has really helped us to go back to a normal life. And I think I, I feel like that's what we need you know, in the anti-corruption space. Like I said, corruption can never be totally eradicated, but focusing on efforts to reduce that is one key lesson, I think, 
would be an effective means to prevent corruption from happening. Thank you so much, Oyi. Firmly, is there anything you'd like to say regarding this? Thank you, and and thank you, Oyi. I agree, and I have worked um, in anti-corruption for a shorter period of time, about four years now, but um, similar sentiments have been observed um, in our approach using anti-corruption education, using storytelling um, to vaccinate you know, young people against corrupt behaviours. And um, we've seen from our examples in educating children in school that you know, corruption, people always say we have corrupt leaders, but we forget that these leaders grew up in a society. They went to the same primary schools and secondary schools and that these behaviors start from somewhere. And so when we're trying to treat, you know, causes, not symptoms, we have to start from the grassroots, which is why, um, like Oye said, we launched the Catch Them Young initiative. Um, and we've noticed that behaviors like cheating, um, like extortion, like stealing, even from now showing favoritism in the classroom are behaviors that later can also gravitate into being corrupt behaviors if these people become leaders tomorrow. And our anti-corruption education approach has been able to um, use storytelling tools like books and films to educate them on the real cause. Why these actions like exam or practice and cheating, you know, going forward, if you grow up in that path, can lead you to become a corrupt individual. And we've been able to see through anti-corruption education that in schools, there have been reduced cheating behaviors amongst children. So schools have reported that because of anti-corruption education, children have stopped cheating in examinations. We've heard that children stop stealing now. They return things that do not belong to them. We've also seen um, that favoritism has also reduced in terms of school elections, where previously children used to vote for people that were their friends or from the same state or those who bribed them. We now see that children are actually voting for those who have campaigned to do the right thing and the best thing for students. And so um, we see that anti-corruption education is, at least from this level, at the younger level, is being able to treat some of these symptoms. And we are, we are confident that in years to come, you know, we'll see this in the effects of the children who have been educated against corruption. Thank you. Thank you so much, Farami. Even jumping on what you said, I remember the story of Abdoghani from Kaduna. This was back in 2020. Then he was 14 years old, but he looked so big. And so uh, politicians will come into his community to get him and his friends to go and vote. But he didn't say anything wrong in that. He kept on doing that until Step of Nigeria came to his school. He was, uh, they read Halima's vote storybook to him and his friends. And it dawned on him that this thing I've been doing is wrong. Vote selling, vote buying is wrong. And the first thing he did was he told his mother, he said, mom, please don't be selling your vote anymore. If these people come to your community, don't sell. He started going around encouraging people, sensitizing them. All the things that he was taught in Halima's storybook, he used that to encourage people not to sell their votes. And they started calling him anti-corruption boy. <laughs> and I think that's just one of the most fantastic uh, changes, one of the most fantastic treatments that can come out of that. So knowing that yeah. he was sensitized against corruption and then he has started telling people, do the right thing, don't sell your votes. I think that that's, that's an amazing thing and we're on the way. So thank you so much. Um, Oye, your second key lesson, it talks about social sanctions being more effective. Can you tell us what you mean here? Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. Yeah, so I um, think I am really reflecting on, on anti-corruption approaches, you know, over the years. And this year particularly is beginning to, I'm beginning to feel that social sanctions could be more effective than legal sanctions for corrupt offenders. And the reason is that criminals, corrupt offenders, whoever, all, all have families, all have social networks. What is happening now is that um, 
there's, I believe, at least in Nigeria's case, that there's this sometimes social acceptance or tolerance, you know, for, for unexplained wealth or illegal wealth. We just, sometimes we turn a blind eye, we don't want to know. And, you know, someone all of a sudden, you know, gets these very expensive cars, you know, buys houses, and we don't really ask questions, particularly when we are not even sure what the person is really doing or what the person is doing is doesn't tally with the kind of wealth we are seeing. You know, or maybe seeing, for example, maybe some people who are just mid-level civil servants, and then you have all their kids studying abroad. How are they getting the money? We don't ask questions. Yeah. Um, so there's this social acceptance, you know, or tolerance, I think, of illegal gotten wealth. We just believe that God has blessed them. You know, and I think and I believe that we need to begin to now sort of build social sanctions, you know, create a society, you know, where society can actually sanction corrupt members, you know, rather than just because if you think about it, the legal system, it takes many years sometimes for corrupt offenders. In fact, many times, you know, it takes lengthy, lengthy years for people to actually be convicted. That's one. Two, even when they are convicted, we've seen in Nigeria, there's always that loophole. They find a way. Either some of them go into plea bargain, some of them, you know, they just have very short jail term and they're out. So it's not really, they always find a way. Some of them even escape. We've seen, um, what's her name, uh, the former minister of petroleum that was accused, that was alleged to have been engaged in, 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 in corrupt practices. She's now somewhere in Dominican Republic because she was able to get diplomatic status in that country because she was wealthy enough to buy through this golden visa scheme that some countries offer. It also allows escape route for corrupt you know, officials. So my point is, it's quite difficult. So why is it not better then we begin to find ways to build social sanctions where those family members, those friends, you know, um, those villages, tribes begin to say no to people, you know, with illegal gotten wealth, we don't explain wealth, begin to sanction them, you know. And I think that if we if we can do that, and I think society, you know, I think it will go a very long way, even better than um, trying to prosecute or convict corrupt offenders. Um, and to do that, we need to sort of educate people you know, around, you know, the cost of corruption, around why is it important that we need to speak up against corruption, you know, and um, and here, if, if you notice, I use the word education, and corruption education, not just awareness raising, not just saying corruption is bad, but actually educating people, you know, on the cost, on what they can do, on how they can take action, on why this is important, you know, a full-fledged um, education program like we have in Step Up Nigeria, I think is one way to be able to build, you know, that sort of um, social sanction, you know, within society, um, conducting things what we call political economy analysis. That's so what that is, is enables us to political economy analysis and enables us to understand some of like the the social context, the political context, the drivers, you know, um, you know, of corruption. So maybe having a bit more understanding of that will enable us to know, you know, how to build, you know, um, social sanctioning. Just so for example, now when you conduct. I've come, you know, some of the analysis I've done to understand the drivers of corruption has shown me that, you know, pressures, you know, to help family and friends when they're in position of power. You know, if you're made PAMSEC today or commission, everybody just believes you have money. But how much is really a PAMSEC salary? You know, so there's that pressure, you know, you know, and I sometimes you don't pity this people, there's pressure, oh, give me a job. And if you don't do that, you're ostracized from society. So we need mm -hmm. to begin to educate people that you do not pressure the fact that someone has gotten this appointment in a position of power doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they have access to large public resources or that they can be, you know, sharing out as handouts, you know, and, 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 and so there's pressure on those people in those positions, you know, and the reason why some of them succumb to those pressures, because again, 
linked to social sanctions. They do not want to be ostracized. So why not let's build positive, let's use social sanction for good in the sense that rather than sanctioning people who have not used their position of power to help family and friends, you know, or, you know, use their, to, to engage in corrupt acts to please family and friends, why not let's use that social sanction actually to sanction people who are engaging, you know, in corrupt behavior. And I think that's what I mean by that. So it creates a society that's, you know, this has, dissociates itself from corrupt individuals, but actually, but wants to associate itself with people of integrity. Thank you, Oye. Um, Let me go to Fermi. What do you think about the effectiveness of social sanctions? And can you share lessons on this? Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. Um, I actually wanted Oye to keep going on this point because I actually think it's 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 quite important, and I don't think it's, it's talked about enough, which is why a podcast like this is um, very important. I do have two examples, and they are lessons we have learned from our work on the field with working with beneficiaries. And the first one um, is from Agoegu. It's um, a slum community on the Riverine side in Lagos State, um, and they really have no good roads, no drainages, no electricity, no healthcare. Really one of those communities that has been marginalized. And we were able to have um, a session with the children in the, and, and the young adults in that community um, using Halima's vote, the film. And we're educating them against vote buying and vote selling because, as you um, explained, many young people are victims of this even before they turn 18. And so what we noticed was after we educated them using um, Halima's vote, the film, some young boys was about a man called Chicago who used to come into their community and, you know, bribe them to sell their votes. And after through the film, they learned that it actually has consequences, like their community suffers as a result of the votes that they sell. The young boys said next time Chicago comes into their community, they're going to chase him away and chase him out, you know. And it was quite inspiring. And actually, since then, because we're in election season in Nigeria right now, we've actually had some people from political parties going to those communities to try to bribe the young boys, you know, to rally people to vote for them. And the effect has been that young boys were able to come together and actually shun corruption, reject um, the bribes and refuse to sell their votes. And that has also rippled into other people, you know, their parents, people in their family, also learning that selling their votes is wrong. And so Chicago was probably very shocked because he was used to the behavior being acceptance. When I bring money, they collect. But now they are rejecting that as a legitimate way of making income in their community. They don't collect money from politicians. And that sanction has worked. And this person will realize I can't come to this community anymore to bribe them to sell their votes. Um, quickly, another example I'd like to give is how we're learning that the sanctions can come from children. We're also trying to raise you know, young champions who can influence even adults, not just children in their classrooms. And one of our nominees for our anti-corruption staff awards last year, um, Esther Kinleye, um, and also Alamina Bubakar. We have these children who, when their parents were about to pay, pay bribes to a police officer or, you know, to a foil attendant, were able to tell their parents, mom, dad, no, that's not okay. And we have parents who had to call the school to say, I can't believe my child was correcting me about something. The sanction there is that, you know, the children are able to see this behavior as wrong. And parents are starting to feel bad that I don't want my child or my son or daughter to look at me as someone who is a corrupt person or someone who gives bribes. And that is able to change even the behavior of parents. So now parents are saying, I won't pay bribes anymore because my children have told me that this is not an okay um, way to behave. And so we have seen already that these sanctions are able to work in changing people's behaviors. Thank you. Thank you so much, Fermi. Social sanctions is what we need because it is something that is not common. It's not so common. But if more if more anti-corruption bodies, if everybody in the community starts sanctioning people who are doing illegal acts, 
then we'll, I think we'll start having a corrupt-free society. Let's, <laughs> hallelujah to that. Um, Oye, you have also mentioned uh, behavioral change in your third key lesson. Can you tell us why this is a factor in fighting corruption? Thank you, Vanessa. Um, and it's closely linked to the first two points as well. I really believe that behavioral approaches to tackling corruption could help build collective action in the fight against corruption, sort of linked to what Frami, the example Frami just gave. And I'll also give an example. I'll start with an example from early on in Step Up Nigeria's work, one of the, we like, I would like call it the defining moments when I, when I felt, okay, I think definitely we are on the right track here. What we are doing has the potential to change things when it comes in the anti-corruption space. So we had gone to engage a school um, in Wusi to in Abuja during the election, the last election, that was the 2019 election, just, just before the 2019 election, we went to engage a school using Halima's vote, actually, but it, it, we read then, we didn't have a film, we're using the storybooks. And long after that, we're having the, the head, the head, um, the head teacher of that school informed us in a session how politicians came with a truck trying to basically give out food items, you know, groceries and that sort of thing to buy votes. And this about, she was six years old. I think her name was Esther. She said what Esther saw the distribution of these items, you know, and shouted, ran to the head teacher's office. And then she, she used to call the head teacher mommy. She said, mommy, 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 mommy. Tell them to close the gate, close the gate, close the gate. Some people are at the gate and they're here to buy out your vote. Don't sell your vote. So don't sell your vote. So your vote is your power. And she was like, where is this coming from? Because she said she was going to go out to actually collect those items. But she says, they told us in Halima's vote. They told us in Halima's vote. And she was stuck. You know, she was like, please tell them to close the gate. And this was just, you know, little girl, you're doing this intervention. You're trying to change behavior, but you don't really know the impact until you actually begin to see the results. And that was when I realized that something could happen here. This young girl took the lesson from Halima's foot, not just her, but stopped her head teacher from going to collect the items that um, they were being used to buy votes, you know. And I thought that that was very powerful. And I began to think if we have 1,000 more Esthers, imagine if we have 2,000 more of Esthers at that age, growing up with that sort of behavior, what kind of society will be building? So I think that we need to really focus on the behavioral approaches to tackling corruption because. If we have begin to build a thousand of esters, then we begin to reform individual behavior. Because I think individually, first of all, we need to accept, we need to change our attitudes, you know, and accept that corruption is definitely detrimental to society, and we need to adopt integrity as the new norm. And so when we begin to build that collective action, where people collectively have signed a new norm, which is integrity, like to, to create a culture of integrity, to act with integrity at all times, then we begin to have many individuals, some of them who could be in position of power, that actually, you know, have that sort of um, inclination to act with integrity. But what we're finding now is that it's by local, it's even not just in Nigeria, even across the world. So imagine if you get like a leader, you know, who we're unfortunate to get a leader who has no integrity, you know, we are finished. So we can't be having a society where we rely on luck to have someone that happens to have integrity, you know, and this is not a, an African problem, the Nigerian problem. We see it in the West, we see it in the UK, we've seen it in the US where badly that's what integrity actually has consequences, you know, and so we need to be, begin to change that behavior. So I strongly believe that. And by doing that, we need to, first of all, change individual behaviors and then begin to build collective action. So the more people who 
we are trying to um, the more people who have, you know, who are act with integrity, then the more likely we're going to have a society. We're going to build that collective action, you know, in the in the in the fight against corruption, and to to change behavior to do that. We need to be, demonstrate the cost of corruption. And like I mentioned earlier in my first point, it's one of the things that Step Up Nigeria tries to do through its anti-corruption education program. So you need to change, you need to educate them on the cost of corruption, but not just that. You need to, people need to see what is the benefit of acting with integrity. I think that that is not really sold enough. I think when awareness creation programs come about corruption, we focus more on the negative. There needs to be more positive anti-corruption messaging that shows the benefits of integrity and how you can make a difference. The fact that it's not a hopeless situation, I think is very important. Sometimes people don't really know how to act, you know, and it's simple things like saying, okay, if you see that your uncle that has illegal wealth, then don't go to, don't take any present for him from him. You know, I have a friend who told me that there was an uncle of his and um, back then in the 70s, you know, that he said he will never forget that, who had some sort of, they couldn't really understand where he got his sudden wealth from. And his mom warned all of them, do not, when Uncle XYZ comes, do not collect any money for him, do not collect. So imagine if all of us are acting like that in Nigeria. If you're a corrupt person and you cannot really, you know, sort of enjoy the money with your, you know, you feel, what's the point, right? You know, mm-hmm. so we need to begin you know, to support citizens' efforts to tackle corruption and reward actions like Step Up Nigeria does as well. I think that's one. When people begin to see the benefits of acting with integrity, you know, we are they are seeing that we're rewarding people, you know, who are acting with integrity or who have, you know, then we also see more people will be more inclined. You know, people only want to go to things that they see benefiting, right? That they see the essence. You know, if people don't see the benefits of doing something good, then they're not going to engage in that, you know. Um, so that is why Step Up Nigeria is adopting this behavioral change approach in this anti-corruption fight. And we see that impact on people's behavior. We conducted a randomized impact evaluation last year. Um, we do that almost every year. So but I'll talk about last year's results because we haven't really concluded on this year's results. So we conducted a um, uh, randomized impact evaluation. And what that is for the purpose of our viewers is really we educate children using storytelling tools, either books, films. And so but we wanted to see the impact of this on, on behavior. So what we did was to divide people into two groups. We had the control group who did not receive our storytelling tools. And then we had the what we call treatment groups are people that we actually, you know, try to use our positive anti-corruption messaging using our storytelling tools to see, to educate them on, on anti-corruption. And the results of that experiment that we try to do show that our storytelling approaches on educating children around anti-corruption, you know, um, had a positive impact on children's behavior. People who received our treatment, and in this case, treatment means who we read the storybooks to or we show the films to, you know, we saw reduced cheating behaviors by 20% compared to those who, who did with the door age. I think that was quite powerful. That was also another defining moment showing the importance of um, behavioral changes, you know, to tackling corruption. Um, and also evidence from our anti-corruption, because I, I mentioned earlier that rewarding integrity is very important. And Step Up Nigeria tries to reward, you know, people, both children, students, teachers, parents now, you know, people from all different parts of society that have taken extraordinary measures to tackle corruption. Um, and what we are finding is that it's actually beginning to, that reward, that award we give people, it begins to incentivize others to act, you know, with integrity. So behavioral changes to tackle corruption is very important if we want to build that collective action in the fight against corruption. Thank you so much, Oye. For this behavioral change, the thing is that the more you keep the more you keep um, letting people know about, the more you keep educating people, children especially, on anti-corruption, the more 
they change their ways because these are things that they they learned from the society, from their home, and then now they're learning about anti-corruption. I know of a story of 15-year-old Getunde Olupo. Uh, we met her at the Special Correctional Center for Girls, Idiaraba. So she was there as, as one of the wards, and she had her, her clique of people around her. She, she told us how if they told her to write names of noisemaker or if she was to help anybody, she'd only help her friends. She didn't care about others. And then one day we came to we came to the correctional center to educate the girls on anti-corruption. We used Halima's vote film. And what she said was that after that session, she mentioned how Halima inspired her that this is one woman, one ordinary woman that made a difference in her community and that how she was able to make a change in her community, it really, it, it spoke to her. And what she started doing was she started speaking to girls in that in that center. She started reading them because the, we gave them the Halima vote storybook as well. So she started using the storybook to educate them. She shared her lessons learned. And before you before you know it, her, her character started changing, started helping people. She wasn't just um, helping only her friends and no, she she helped everybody. She was fair to people. And um the people in the the people in the ward, the supervisors, they noticed this. They noticed that uh uh you think that started helping people. She's even helping younger ones like, like with their assignments. She's on good behavior. And at the end of the day, they took her to court and she was released. So uh, she was released on good behavior. Her mother was so happy. Her mother was like thanking us that thank you for coming to this center, speaking to my child. Before Yetunde doesn't hear anybody, Yetunde is always doing what she wants to do. She's always going out. But now Yetunde, Yetunde is so she she's so committed, like talking to people. She even wrote a poem to the leaders, like encouraging them to tackle corruption and do the right thing. And now her mother spoke on how Yesinde is going to start school in the next session. And I'm so happy that Yesinde is going to carry this to her new school and speak to more people against corruption. Okay, so Fermi, um, do you have any examples regarding behavioral change, anything you've noticed so far in your work in Step Up Nigeria? Thank you, Vanessa. Um, I was going to mention how, again, the how rewarding people is powerful in changing behavior. Step Up Nigeria um, last year launched what we call the Integrity Certification Program for Schools. And that helps schools to build a culture of integrity from the admissions processes to academic integrity and then building codes of conduct that guide you know, their parents, their teachers and their students. And what we've seen since we, we certified six schools, um, six low-cost private schools in Lagos State this year, and what we've seen is the immediate effect of other schools who said, wow, I also need to get my school certified because the schools who received that certification, you know, shared it on their WhatsApp group platforms and other schools are able to see, wow, these schools have been celebrated for having a culture of integrity. And that has been able to motivate other school heads, other owners of schools to say, I want my school to also be integrity certified. Um, and we're also noticing that even some schools who have been integrity certified have started getting more students in their academic sessions. So some schools who joined the program last year, even in the new year, more parents have brought their children to that school because they are seeing that they have a culture of integrity that guides behavior. Um, and we've seen schools who have even instituted like an anti-corruption champion award every term or every session um, because they've seen the works that the previously awarded champions of Nigeria have done to motivate others. And just that award, even at the school level, has been able to motivate other children in the school to act with integrity 
because they know at the end of the term, a student to be chosen as the integrity champion for, for the term. And so we're seeing that little things, um, using these behavioral approaches and rewarding people who are active with integrity is, is enough to motivate other people in that environment. Of course, we have said in our work that we cannot convert everyone, not everyone with an anti-corruption champion, but that this work is able to change one, two, three, four, five people who will continue to affect others in their environment. And then this behavioral change that we hope to see from one champion to the next and their families will begin to act with integrity as a result of this anti-corruption education. Thank you. Thank you, Fermi, for your lovely example. Uh, schools getting integrity certified and then the changes that are happening, parents bringing their children, that's what we love to see. So you bring your child to our school, you learn integrity, you learn anti-corruption values. I think that's, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Fermi. It's been an insightful conversation. This is just a glorious way to round up the year and I am so thankful of the work we're doing at Step Up Nigeria. Thank you so much, Oyi. I'm sure our listeners will start applying these lessons in their daily lives so we can achieve a corrupt, free society. And to our able Deputy Program Director, Ms. Fermi Iyondel, we appreciate your contribution. Our podcast can be found on all podcasting platforms. Can you follow us on our social media handles, Twitter and Instagram at step underscore up underscore Nigeria, on LinkedIn at Step Up for Social Development and Empowerment in Nigeria, on Facebook at Step Up Nigeria, on TikTok at Step Up Nigeria TV, and on YouTube at Step Up TV. Till next time, I'm your host, Vanessa Emadi. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Vanessa. Merry Thank Christmas. you so much.